Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Hard Count Football Podcast Live. My name is Jacob Charnow, leading the next generation of football fans live on YouTube and Twitch with the Landry Football Network. It is week four of the NFL season, and with that, we have predictions as always. We have no guests lined up for today, and that is because we have a whole lot to talk about with some fun segments throughout the way. So, with that being said, Let's get right into it. And before we actually get into all this actual football talk, let's address the main story in the NFL right now. And that is a slight COVID outbreak within the NFL right now. About 18 members of the Tennessee Titans between players and staff have tested positive for COVID-19. The Titans were supposed to play the Steelers in week four, but that game has been postponed to week seven. And the Steelers Ravens game that was supposed to be played in week seven has now been moved to week eight. Also, on the New England Patriots, starting quarterback Cam Newton tested positive for COVID, and that is probably the biggest name that has actually tested positive for the virus so far, and hopefully that's the biggest name that we see. But that game was supposed to play at 425 today, but that will now be played on either Monday or Tuesday night. But that game is certainly in question right now. However, uh, all the results came back from the Patriots and no other players tested positive. All of them uh, tested negative. So that is massively good news. And hopefully we see that game be played this week on Monday night or Tuesday night. The Cam Newton replacement for the Patriots is Brian Hoyer. So that is obviously a huge blow for the Patriots. And in terms of my predictions, uh, I would take the Chiefs, obviously, since Brian Hoyer is the starting quarterback for the Patriots, Brian Hoyer. And the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. And when you take Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs team, whether that be the offense or the defense, you know, you're, the Chiefs are going to win. The Chiefs would win if Brian Hoyer is a starting quarterback. And I think the Chiefs would win even if Cam Newton was the starting quarterback. But honestly, we'll see. Listen, for COVID, we expected this to happen when we knew we were getting football positive, people are going to test positive. This certainly is not going to be the last wave of positive tests. The Falcons rookie, AJ Terrell tested positive, and then they played the game in Chicago and every other test came back negative and it was okay. This is why we have contact tracing. If someone gets the virus and they don't play that week, if someone gets the virus, they don't play that week and they contact trace to make, to see who else has it. And it becomes, and if if it becomes sort of an outbreak, Then they don't play that week and they reschedule the game. You know, as long as the NFL handles this whole thing correctly, it really shouldn't be a problem. I mean, we saw it in the MLB when the Miami Marlins had an outbreak and they handled it real well. And now the MLB is into their postseason without a problem, without really any concern. You know, it sucks that it happens. And obviously, I wish everyone who gets the virus a speedy recovery, but Nobody should be saying to shut down the league. It's it, no it, it because of a few positive tests or an outbreak on one team. It's really just not practical. Now that we got through all of that not so fun stuff, let's talk about some actual football on Thursday night football. Oh boy, the Denver Broncos beat the New York Jets 37 to 28 and it, it really embarrassing is the only word I can use for this game. Let's start with this Jets defense. The Jets let Brian Rippon, a third-string quarterback out of Boise State, throw for 240 yards and two touchdowns against them. Yes, they had three interceptions, but only one of them was an actual good effort made by a defensive back. The other two, like the other two were just like thrown right to him. Yeah, it, I understand that Pierre Desir had two interceptions and a pick six, but he might be one of the worst corners I have ever seen play football. He was beat eight times for 134 yards and two touchdowns. One of them that was literally in his hands. 
and Jerry Judy just completely mossed him and ripped the ball right out of him and walked into the end zone. They gave up over 100 yards and two touchdowns to Melvin Gordon. Tim Patrick had six catches for 113 yards and a touchdown. Who was Tim Patrick? On top of that, six personal fouls against this defense, and they are easily the most undisciplined defense in football. And the, the the only relative bright spot on this defense were those interceptions and two of their young defensive players, Bryce Huff and John Franklin Myers, showed some bright spots, but that's about it. They, they got killed by not only a third-string quarterback, but by themselves also. Greg Williams isn't the defensive coordinator he was last year, and in the past, those dirty hits at the end of the game were unnecessary and completely uncalled for. And when the inevitable cleaning of the house comes within the Jets organization, Greg Williams should be gone as well. As much, you know, maybe if they fire Gase midseason, he should take over. But after this year, Greg should absolutely be gone. And speaking of cleaning the house, let's talk about Adam Gase and this Jets offense. You know, I'm happy this game was in primetime because everybody saw what I have been saying for a while now. And Sam Darnold, is an extremely talented quarterback that with the white with the right weapons surrounding him if if the Jets drafted and surrounded him with the weapons he could definitely be their franchise guy however they first they gave Darnold the defensive minded quarterback in Todd Bowles and now they gave him Adam Gase and it feels like they're just trying to ruin him during the offseason in order, in order to help Sam Darnold develop they let Sam Darnold's favorite weapon a guy who he had a ton of chemistry with, Robbie Anderson, a 27-year-old Robbie Anderson, walk and take a deal that was less than what the team would have given him in the first place. Ha fine, that happens. They went out and got Brashad Perryman, who has had injury concerns and had no chemistry with Darnold. And I don't know why you wouldn't just keep Robbie Anderson at that point. Jets general manager Joe Douglas said that their plan was to build a wall around Sam Darnold. And let's see. Let's see how they did that. So they hit on Makai Becton out of Louisville, or at least it looks like they hit on him. He's fantastic. He's great. And it four games in already looks like a stud. So he played on one. He played basically with one arm. He didn't start on Thursday night, but he he came in because Chuma Idoga, who was the starter while Becton was hurt, um, he got hurt early in the game. They brought in Becton, who had an injured shoulder, and with one arm, he was blocking really well for Darnold, and it was a Dump. It was a dumb idea by Gase and this team to let Makai Becton go back in. I understand that he said that it wouldn't. It wasn't really a matter of re-injuring it or hurting it worse. It was a matter of how much it hurt Becton to actually play on it. Which it's still ridiculous. This is your franchise left tackle that you're using here, and you're trying to throw him in for a Thursday game against the Denver Broncos, which it wouldn't have really mattered whether he had played or not. And then Becton ended up getting hurt, and he had to take himself out of the game. That was a completely ridiculous situation. But it seems like they solved left tackle for a while, hopefully. It looks like he's going to be a staple on this offensive line. But in free agency, they sign a bunch of middle to lower tier offensive linemen. If you want to build a, a wall around Sam Darnold uh, the best possible way, you go out and you get some of the best guys available. Graham Glasgow was on the market, but they didn't get him. They got Greg Van Roten, who is fine at best. He's not having a good year. Brian Balaga was available to play right tackle, but they signed George Fant, who had barely ever started a game. And while he has played pretty well, isn't nearly as good as Balaga is. So the Jets have already surrounded Darnold with some not great weapons. You have a chance to hire anybody. And you had you had the choice of so many people. You you interview so many coaches and you and ownership picks Adam Gase because what? He watched 
Peyton Manning's lifeless body in Denver go win a Super Bowl? It, 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 Peyton Manning was Peyton Manning before he got to Denver. It's not like it's not like Adam Gase developed Peyton Manning. So I don't want to hear anything about that. In fact, he was significantly worse in Denver. That 2015 season was carried by Brock Osweiler during the regular season when Manning went down and got benched for some games. And then Peyton came in during the playoffs and got carried by his defense. The Jets ranked 32nd in almost every single statistical category there is offensively. And it's embarrassing. Sure, they can go and they can fire Gase right now. And they should, but they aren't. And that means that when they do fire him at the end of the season, the Jets are the Jets are once again going to be in a complete rebuild because of the lack of talent that they have on both sides of the football. It looks like the Jets could very well go 0-16. And so it is time for me to do a segment I like to call Jacob Charnow's New York Jets Rebuild Plan. So I will be rebuilding the New York Jets from the offseason on, and this is assuming that they do go 0-16 or whatever. So let's start off with step one, fire Adam Gase. And not only Adam Gase, fire management. The entire coaching staff between Gase, Williams, and Dowell Loggins, this team needs a complete overhaul, okay? The new head coach should hire his entire his own entire staff and make the team his own. Well, who is going to be the new Jets head coach? And I know it's me kind of going with the with the majority here, but it has to be Eric Bieniemy because I've had my doubts about him since he doesn't really call the plays for the Chiefs and his coaching Patrick Mahomes and all those weapons. But the way he talks to this offense and how passionate he a huge New York market. Next, free agency. In free agency, I want Joe Douglas to pay necessary weapons. You want to surround your new franchise quarterback, which we will get to, with the weapons on both offense and defense that he deserves. You can't rely on all your draft picks to hit because guess what? 90% of them won't. Like, yes, Joe Douglas, he hit on Makai Becton in his first draft with the Jets, but we haven't seen Mims play. We don't know how Denzel Mims is. It doesn't, I mean, Jabbar Zuniga hasn't played a game yet. He drafted a quarterback in the fourth round. LaMichael P. Ryan isn't even getting the ball right now. Bryce Hall hasn't played a game. And the only guy who looks kind of okay other than Becton is Brayden Mann, who is their punter. That, that's that's You can't rely on all your draft picks to hit. So in order to free up some salary cap for this team, the Jets should move off of Le'Veon Bell because cutting him would save them money and running back is the most replaceable position on the football field. Now, the first free agent you're going to sign is Joe Thune because he's a guard and he continues to prove consistent throughout and he can definitely be relied on to protect your quarterback. The Jets seem to have hit on left tackle Makai Becton, like I said, so that solves a hole, uh, that solves a hole at the most important position on your offensive line. Sign a center. Either Mike Pouncey, Corey Lindsley, or David Andrews, are, they're all free agents next year. Now, this Connor McGovern's not good. Connor McGovern hasn't had a good year. They, You can admit it. You signed him to a one-year deal. You whiffed on your center pick. Connor McGovern, he was okay in Denver. He's not good here. He's given up so many pressures. He's not the guy. You need to go out and you need to sign a good center that could be a staple on the offensive line. A veteran guy, I think, who can really prove to help out these these young guys, especially Becton. Now, I, I, this may be controversial, but I think that the Jets should trade that Seattle first rounder that they got in the Jamal Adams trade for a star wide receiver. 
whether that be Allen Robinson, if they if the Bears extend him, and if they don't, you pay Allen Robinson, or even Odell Beckham. He, they just need some star power on the offense, and they aren't going to get it with their current receiving core. Go ahead and pay a defensive lineman too. I like Ryan Kerrigan, uh, because if but if so, if they can somehow snag him up, he's a free agent next year. I would absolutely be for them bringing him to New York. He's very good, and at running back without Lev, there are a ton of free agent backs available next year, and but I like Lamichael Piran. I think he's going to be with your new coach. As long as they can use him and let him take behind a good offensive line, it doesn't really matter. I, it, if you have a good offensive line, running back is a position that will fall into place on its own. And if they can't bring in a star back for a, a low amount of money, go ahead with a middle of the line back since this offensive line, like I said, should be enough to support whatever back is behind it. So let's say they go get Philip or James Conner for a very, on a very, very team friendly deal, because that would be the only way I would ever, I don't really want to pay a running back again. We saw it didn't work out with Lev and I don't really, I don't love paying running backs a whole lot of money, but both of those, Philip Lindsay, James Conner are both free agents next year. It looks like the Steelers probably could be moving off of James Conner. And with the Broncos getting Melvin Gordon, it seems like Philip Lindsay's going to probably be able to hit free agency next year unless they like this two-back system that they have. But I don't really think that they do. And now for the draft. So this draft has the Jets getting the number one pick since, like I said, they're going 0-16. And, and with the number one pick... I don't want them trading it away or doing anything else. They are taking Trevor Lawrence. And Trevor Lawrence is a generational quarterback that we aren't going to see again. And if you miss out on him, I promise you are going to regret it. If you don't, if you if you trade that one pick away or you do anything, and no matter how much I love Sam Darnold, you have to take Trevor Lawrence. Darnold would be on his third career head coach and has not played a full healthy season yet because now with this shoulder whatever is going on there, it looks like he might not play in week five against the Cardinals. So that would mean that Sam, Sam Darnold has never played a full healthy season. And I, I feel bad for Darnold, but it's the Jets that let him down, but it's time to move on. And with the way Darnold has been playing, showing some bright spots, there will be teams interested in having him that are going to need a quarterback next year. And in this specific scenario, it would be the Minnesota Vikings who trade for Sam Darnold. I covered this last week. I think the Vikings are the perfect fit for Sam Darnold. And plus, they're in the end. I think if Josh Rosen could get traded for a second rounder, I absolutely think Joe Douglas can make the Vikings bite on a first because the Vikings have been okay with trading first rounders. They're that's not a problem for them. They like their team. They're not trying to bring in all these on rebuild. They're not trying to bring in all this crazy young talent. They should be okay with, with bringing in, they should be, I think Joe Douglas, I mean, we saw it in the Jamal trade. He's, he can make teams bite. I think they can bite on a first rounder and you know, the Vikings will cover them later when we talk about their game, but Kirk Cousins doesn't look like their guy and Sam Darnold flourishes in play action and they could definitely use a guy like that plus like I said Vikings are in the NFC so it's even more of a driving factor for the Jets to send him there versus a team that might need him also like the Steelers or the Colts then you draft a cornerback in the second round and quite possibly the third also because these Jets corners are absolutely they're awful they are so bad the guys that uh, you cannot I mean Pierre Desir and I understand Bless Austin is he's second year 
uh, seventh round pick. He looks okay. And Brian Poole, he doesn't look as good, but he still looks fine. But Pierre Desir, man, he just is awful. You want to get rid of him as soon as you can. There's no way that he does. There's no way he stays on this team past another year. The guys I want the Jets to re-sign are Avery Williamson, Brian Poole, Jordan Jenkins, and most certainly Marcus Ney. All those guys have re- had great impact on the team so far. Bright spots on this horrible, horrible defense. Everyone else, if you can get them on a cheap deal, then do it. But those are my necessary guys that you're going to have on this team. That's, listen, that's all it takes as a start. Now look at this roster, okay? Tell me this doesn't sound a whole lot better than what they have right now. Because right now they have probably the worst roster on paper in the entire NFL. Second to maybe the Jaguars, but the Jaguars are winning football games. Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. We'll go with James Conner at running back. Or we'll go LaMichael Pirine at running back. Allen Robinson, Jamison Crowder, and Denzel Mims at receiver. Mekhi Becton, Alex Lewis, anybody that isn't named Connor McGovern at center. Joe Thune at right guard and George Fant at right tackle, along with Chris Herndon and Ryan Griffin at tight end. And then on defense, having Ryan Kerrigan and Jordan Jenkins off the edge could be nice, along with a developing Quinnen Williams in a defensive tackle spot. Williams, Avery Williamson and CJ Mosley, who they should be getting back next year. I don't think they can actually cut him because of something with his contract, but it, it, at least it'll elevate this terrible, terrible linebacker group right now that they have on the field. Brian Poole, bless Austin, and some young corners there that they draft, that, and Marcus May and Ashton Davis at safety. And with a competent head coach and staff, which is not something that they can ha- that they have now, this team can, amp- on paper at least, can absolutely win football games. I want, I would love to see that Eric Bieniemy and Trevor Lawrence, just that development between them, because Eric Bieniemy, he sees how Andy Reid has developed all these quarterbacks between Nick Foles and Patrick Mahomes and all these guys. But I would, lo- I, I would love to absolutely see how Trevor Lawrence and Eric Bieniemy work well in New York. But it's going to be hard for the Jets to get a good head coach or a great. Listen, Mike Greenberg said it on his show. Trevor Lawrence is going to have to think long and hard about staying at Clemson after after this season because. Listen, the Jets are in its ownership. The Jets are such a dysfunctional team when it comes to ownership. Chris Johnson said that Adam Gase was a brilliant offensive mind. I've covered that. He's not a brilliant offensive mind. It looks like Chris Johnson doesn't even watch football games or care about the team. Joe Douglas, listen, he's he's done really well in terms of trades and signing players for the most part in terms of salary cap, but He's given he let Robbie Anderson walk. I think that was a horrible move. By far the worst move he's made as a general manager so far. And then he signed Pierre Desir. He's signing all like he traded. I know you had to trade Jamal, but you have to keep your best players on the team. Like you can't you can't rely on these first rounders to hit. And it's, and that third rounder, and Bradley McDougal doesn't look like this guy that there's a reason Seattle was okay with trading him. It's because he's really not. He's not that all. He's really not that good. Like we thought, the safety group between Marcus May and Bradley McDougal would be really good this year. Marcus May is really the only bright spot right now, and he's obviously there's no there was no preseason, so there's tackling has been really hard for this defense, which is something you can't have a problem with when you're playing football, where the main way to make people from not getting into the end zone is to just tackle them, and when you can't do that, people are going to score a lot of touchdowns, and that's what's that's exactly what's happening. But look at it. It's the Jets, so they'll probably disappoint me and sign Jim Caldwell for a 12-year, $13 billion deal with assistant head coaches Adam Gase and Hugh Jackson. So starting off our predictions, (laughs) the New Orleans Saints will play against the Detroit Lions, and the Lions 
are coming off a win against the Cardinals where their defense forced three interceptions from Kyler Murray and their offense played really well. And I love, I don't know why I love watching the Lions win. Um, I think that uh, their fans have gone through so much in the last however many years that as a Jets fan, I appreciate when other bad teams win. It's fun when they beat good teams. And, you know, Adrian Peterson, uh, no, Matt Stafford, 270 yards through the air, two touchdowns and no interceptions, along with nice production from Adrian Peterson on the ground and a returning Kenny Galladay. You know, I said once they had Galladay back that this team could very much start to click, and it and it, it looks like it has for the most part, except that this week they get the Saints, who don't have Michael Thomas returning, but, you know, it, 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 it yes, it looks like when the Saints have Michael Thomas that to catch those five-yard passes from Drew Brees. It looks, the Saints look like a Super Bowl contender, but when they don't, they don't get, they don't get, they have to rely on the ever-so-trustworthy Alvin Kamara to produce, and he does, but who are you going to find? It looks like Drew Brees can't find Emmanuel Sanders. He can't find Trey Quan Smith. He can't find Jared Cook. So you're relying on Alvin Kamara, and if all you have to do is really cover Alvin Kamara, but that's much easier said than done. He's probably the most dynamic running back in the NFL that's healthy, or I think maybe in the league, even when everybody is healthy. Kamara does it all in the running game and the passing game. So either way, the Saints just seem to have a better team than the Lions right now. And I think that they, uh, even though they beat the red hot Cardinals, I don't think the Lions could repeat this week against the Saints because Alvin Kamara is going to have a huge game. And this defense, the Saints defense is, is pretty good. I mean, Demario Davis, Marshawn Lattimore, these are Malcolm Jenkins. These are guys who are good. So I, I think that I, I do have the Saints winning this game. I think that the Saints will take down the Detroit Lions. Next, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will host the Los Angeles Chargers this week. The Bucs finally looked like they put it all together last week against the Broncos with both of their star wide receivers healthy. However, they don't have that luxury this week since Chris Godwin will not be playing today due to a hamstring injury. And this leaves Mike Evans to be used as the guy for Tom Brady this week. And I don't think that it's going to be a problem, but the loaded offense on Tampa isn't the reason that I think they're going to beat the Chargers. The reason I think that Tampa will win this one is because of this defense. The Tampa defense is a top three defense in the league right now and the best run defense in the NFL. Justin Herbert might have taken the Chiefs to overtime in his first game, but it feels like that might have been mostly because they had no film to watch. Like they had nothing to preview and he, no one knew that he was starting. He didn't know he was starting. Nothing team they were planning for uh, for Terod Taylor the entire week, and they're very different quarterbacks, obviously. And then we saw that that might have been uh, that might that was the case considering uh, what the Chiefs did to the Ravens last week and how the Chargers lost to the Carolina Panthers. And yeah, the Chargers lost to the Panthers, who have one of the worst defenses in the league, and they won't be able to get anything going on the ground with Eckler or Joshua Kelly because the Bucks have one of, if not the best, linebacker group in the league also. And I don't think this game is really even going to be close. I think the spread on this game is minus seven. I'm hammering the Buccaneers on this on this game for sure, and I don't think it's, yeah, like I said, don't even, not even going to be close. And the Tempe Buccaneers will emerge victorious in week four, even without Chris Godwin. The Jacksonville Jaguars will head to Cincinnati to take on Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Joe Burrow has been absolutely lighting it up to start the season, but has been getting absolutely killed by this offensive line. Last week against the Eagles, he was sacked eight times, and the Eagles don't have some crazy good defensive line either. The fact that Joe Burrow still threw 
for over 300 yards and two touchdowns, along with no interceptions, shows just how good he is. When this team starts to surround him with the offense he deserves, he's going to start to look like one of the best in the league. And that is I, I, that is not a prediction. That is a spoiler. <laughs> Joe Burrow is going to end up being one of the best quarterbacks in the league very soon once the Bengals start surrounding him with the right weapons. And I'm very confident that Joe Burrow is going to be able to pick up his first career win of the season, a first career win in general against the Jacksonville Jaguars at home. I know I said that last week about the Eagles, but if the Bengals can tie the Eagles, but if the Bengals can tie the Eagles, I think they can beat the Jaguars who just lost in prime time to the Miami Dolphins and Ryan Fitzpatrick. It looks like Minshew Magic had run out last week. Um, and I think that even though the Bengals had a bad defense, they might score a night. They're probably going to score a nice amount of points because Jacksonville doesn't have a great defense either. And that will probably end up costing them this one. Joe Burrow will light them up for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. He's going to find Tyler Boyd. He's going to try and find AJ Green. And even if it's a close game, I think Burrow and the Bengals will get their first win of the season. Both the Minnesota Vikings and the Houston Texans look to pick up their first wins of the season when they play each other at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas. The Texans have had much better losses than the Vikings do. They lost to the Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers in the first three weeks of the year. So this is the first time we get to see Houston against a lower-tier defense. And the Vikings have been getting absolutely destroyed on the defensive side of the ball. And I can absolutely see that happening today when they played Deshaun Watson. Even without any weapons, Deshaun Watson continues to try and make it work, and I think that it will be enough to get them a win in this game because he is still the same playmaker that we've seen for however many years. He's he, He's been making it work for the most part with Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb and Will Fuller at receiver with no star power now that they lost DeAndre Hopkins. And the Texans' defense has played well for what they've had to face, and I do think that it's going to be enough to keep this very inconsistent Vikings offense. and beat them. I, I, Kirk Cousins isn't good. So as long as they can keep Dalvin Cook relatively contained, I think the Texans end up winning this game. And as much as I don't like Bill O'Brien and his play calling or clock management, Deshaun Watson single-handedly makes up for whatever Bill O'Brien does. So I got the Texans in this one. The Seattle Seahawks will play the Miami Dolphins. And this one, I don't think really needs much explaining. I saw the line kept shifting up and down. And I, I don't really, the Dolphins beat the Jaguars. And it looked like Ryan Fitzmagic had returned. He was 18 for 20 with only 160 yards and two touchdowns. But I don't think that is going to happen again or be nearly enough to take down the Seahawks, who look like one of the best teams in the NFL. Yes, the Seahawks' pass defense is bad. And it's definitely not going to help today that they're missing Jamal Adams. But I think that, even if Fitzpatrick lights up the defense, it's not it's not going to be enough to beat Russell Wilson and to keep up with the pace of the Seahawks offense because Russell Wilson looks like the MVP through the first three weeks of the season, 14 touchdowns in three weeks, and between DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, this Seahawks offense is going to be the best we have ever seen under Russell Wilson. Chris Carson I don't know whether he's playing or not today, but I don't really think it matters whether he's playing or not. The Seahawks are going to beat up on Miami, and it's not a matter of whether they win or not. It's going to be a matter of how much they end up beating the Dolphins by, and I could definitely see this one getting really out of hand really, really quickly. Next, Dak Prescott. 
have been disappointing to say the least to open up the season. They lost to both the Seahawks and the Rams and should have lost to the Falcons if it weren't for one lucky onside kick that the Falcons definitely should have recovered that they just watched. But the Browns, on the other hand, are 2-1, and one, but have they've only beaten the Bengals and the Washington football team. So neither of those are obviously impressive wins at all. Their loss was an absolute blowout by the Ravens. And it's hard to judge them based on that game either. This game is going to say a lot about both teams. But I think if Cleveland sticks to their game plan that's been working for them, which is not making Baker Mayfield throw more than 25 times and letting Nick Chubb run the ball every single time and let their backfield do all the work, then I think they could definitely beat the Cowboys. I, you know, Kareem Hunt is questionable to play today. But to be honest, the only back they really need is Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb looks like the best pure on the ground running back in the league right now. And they need to let him work and do what he does best. Baker Mayfield isn't going to win the game alone by passing 40 times like other quarterbacks would, because you know, the, the Browns need to realize what works and the Browns have no loyalty to Baker. And if, if Baker can just hand the ball up and they get wins, it's going to look much better for Baker. It's going to look much better for Cleveland. And they won't even really think about moving off of Baker if they get wins this year and I think that's going to be why they get a lot of wins this year because they let Nick Chubb work the Cowboys are not good against the run they let up over 100 rushing yards and two touchdowns to the Rams in week one almost 100 yards to the Falcons in week two and nearly 100 combined yards in week three to the Seahawks if Baker does not if Baker if Baker does not throw Dallas has an awful pass defense so if he actually does need to throw I don't think I honestly don't think it's going to be a problem I I Against other teams, it might be, but the Cowboys don't have a good pass defense. If there's, they they're closer to the bottom of the list. They have a terrible secondary. They didn't land Earl Thomas because it, I mean, either did no one landed Earl Thomas. They need to go get Earl Thomas now because those safeties, that safety group for the Cowboys, is just absolutely terrible. Trayvon Diggs got burnt almost every play last week by Lockett and Metcalf, and I can see a very similar outcome when they have to go against OBJ and Jarvis Landry. The Browns' defense has played well this year, too, forgetting week one, and I could absolutely see them doing a good enough job to limit this Cowboys' offense. The Cowboys also aren't running the ball. They're really, they're not. They're letting Dak throw, and yes, Dak has thrown for over 450 yards in the last two weeks, but... I, I, they need to give Zeke the ball. Ze- Ezekiel Elliott is, if there was someone who came close to Nick Chubb or is better than Nick Chubb, it's Zeke, and they're not letting him do what he does, and it's, it's going to cost the Cowboys in the long run, because the Browns are pretty good against the run. You know, they have Miles Garrett coming off the edge, Sheldon Richardson. These are, these are good players. I mean, uh, look at this. Okay, this defense hasn't let up more than a hundred rushing yards per game, and even in the game against Baltimore. And stopping Mark Ingram, Joe Mixon, and Antonio Gibson is much more impressive than not being able to stop Malcolm Brown, uh, Todd Gurley, and Chris Carson. If the Browns shut down Zeke enough, which it seems like they very well could be, it will be huge. And realistically, the Cowboys are going to score points. And they have the best receiving core in the league. And Dak is a good quarterback. But I think that once again, the Cowboys defense is going to lose them this game. And we'll be having a real interesting talk about Dallas when they lose to Cleveland tomorrow.
The Arizona Cardinals will look to bounce back this week after a disappointing loss to the Lions in Week 3, which we covered when they take on the Carolina Panthers. Kyler Murray certainly didn't have his best game last week. He threw for 270 yards, two touchdowns, but he had three interceptions. This week, that isn't going to happen again. That was a one-off, and you can absolutely bank on that. He's going to bounce back and could have very well the best game of the season so far for him because this Panthers defense is just, they are so ridiculously bad that anybody's going to look good when they play them. And the Panthers aren't good. They took advantage of a banged up Chargers defense and had time to plan for Justin Herbert and force him into some rookie mistakes, which they knew he was going to make and probably should have lost the game if Austin Eckler had just caught that pitch behind him. But, you know, if even though this Panthers defense has, they played, even the Panthers offense has played pretty well with Teddy Bridgewater and all of those fun little weapons he has, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and who seems to be his favorite target, Robbie Anderson. And I don't think it will be enough to crack this Cardinals defense. Chandler Jones, man, is one of the best and most underrated pass rushers in the league. No one talks about Chandler Jones, and they should, and it's because he's in a market like Arizona, where before this year, that's not an that's, that wasn't a team that people paid attention for. That's not a prime time level football team. Patrick pa- Patrick Peterson, Isaiah Simmons, and Buda Baker are all good players and can help stop the Panthers, who are missing Christian McCaffrey once again. And that hurts this that hurts the team more than I could ever imagine. And so I'm going to take the Arizona Cardinals to beat the Panthers by a nice margin. The Indianapolis Colts will take on the Chicago Bears and their new starter. Nick Foles. The Bears went down early to the Falcons last week and at halftime, Bears head coach Matt Nagy benched Mitch Trubisky. The Bears were 2-0 heading into this game. Trubisky must have been on a very, very short leash with Bears management. And it feels like basically Matt Nagy traded for Nick Foles and he probably wanted to start him this year, but management management said no, and he said that they needed to start Trubisky, and that's why he was on a short leash, and that's why he got pulled so quickly. But Nick Foles came in and threw for five touchdowns in the fourth quarter alone, and obviously because of this, Foles was named their starter for the foreseeable future, and he gets his first actual start today against the Colts. The Bears have pretty good weapons for Foles to succeed with. Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, and David Montgomery, to name a few. Plus, I mean, they have a very solid defense and a really good defensive line, but can that hold up when they play against one of the top offensive lines in the league with the Colts? Last week, the Colts beat the Jets 36-7 to in a game that was never even really close, and the week before, they beat the Vikings 28-11. to So though, neither of those are really impressive wins considering what those teams have done otherwise, but if Phil Burbers can limit the turnovers, I think the Colts could probably win this game. The main reason I think they could definitely beat the Bears is because of this Colts defense too. It is extremely underrated. DeForest Buckner has been tearing it up, and Darius Leonard is as good as ever. Nick Foles could have a good game, but I think that the Bears will pick up their first loss of the season against the Colts in this one. The Baltimore Ravens will look to heavily bounce back from last Monday night's loss to the Kansas City Chiefs when they play against the Washington football team and they will. They will bounce back because the Ravens might have looked very ugly against the Chiefs and they could not get a single thing going on offense. Lamar Jackson threw for 97 yards and a touchdown, and that was it. I said it then and I'll say it now again, though. The Ravens are fine. The Ravens are okay. They're like they are still one of the best teams in the NFL. Do not forget that. And if there was a team, one of the best teams in the NFL, Lamar Jackson's just as good as he ever was. And for Lamar, if there's a team that you want to play against after a rough loss, it's the Washington football team because offensively and defensively, 
The Ravens are going to be back in their groove. This is another game that could get very, very ugly fast since the Ravens have one of the best defenses in the league. Marlon Humphrey has got a nice five-year extension. Good for him. And Washington has a bad offense. I've heard that management told Dwayne Haskins that if he doesn't play better, they're going to have to think about moving in a very different direction at quarterback. And you know what that means? He had three interceptions last week, so there's a chance that we could end up seeing Alex Smith in the near future, which is exciting. I mean, what a comeback that would be for Alex Smith. I'm not necessarily rooting for Haskins to fail, but I think it's more likely than not that he does, considering, I mean, he hasn't played well yet, but Baltimore is picked to win this game by a lot, and I think the Ravens are pissed and are also going to win this game by a very, very, very nice margin. Could be over 20 points, but I definitely think it'll be by over two touchdowns. The Los Angeles Rams will host the New York Giants. This is another game I'm very confident in. The Giants look like the worst team in football and might give a Jets a run at their money for that number one pick. They got killed by the Niners last week, and really, they just look terrible. Daniel Jones doesn't look like the Giants franchise quarterback in the Eli Manning replacement that they hoped him to be when they drafted him, and they might need to look to move off of him if he continues to play poorly. Next year's draft class looks to be pretty loaded at quarterback, and it will definitely be a topic of conversation in that front office next year because between Trevor Lawrence, if they do get that one pick, Justin Fields and Trey Lance, all those guys seem like they could be good fits in New York, and Danny Dimes, is it doesn't look like he's Danny Dimes anymore, or it doesn't really look like he ever was. I was never a really big fan of Daniel Jones, and I, I think that you know Joe Judge did, is not the one who drafted him, he has no loyalty towards Daniel Jones. I think that in his second year, Joe Judge might go to Dave Gettleman and be like, listen, we're sitting at that number two or three pick. Let's have this conversation about taking Justin Fields or we'll see what Trey Lance does. But these are, I, I don't, I, they need to see, they need to realize quickly that Daniel Jones has a big, big turnover problem and that he's really just not that good, to be honest. Saquon Barkley is out for the year. Sterling Shepard is on IR and Jabril Peppers isn't playing today. So the Giants aren't going to win this game either. Uh, how is that? How, how is it that in the biggest, richest city in America that has all this money, they only have one good sports team with the Yankees? Had it like, so many different, so much money, and they don't have a single good owner besides with the Yankees, and we'll see Steve Cohen in the Mets. But not a good owner in football, not a good owner in basketball. One good team in all of sports for, for, for New York. The, the Rams look like a good football team, and that's all it's going to take to beat the Giants is to be good. That's that's literally it. They came back from a 28-3 deficit and almost beat the Bills last week, but dropped it because of an interesting pass interference call against the Rams that uh, I'm not going to give my opinion on that. But this game should be a cakewalk for them. So I'm 99.9% sure that the Rams will beat the Giants by a lot, barring something unforeseen. The Buffalo Bills will head to the new Las Vegas stadium to take on Derek Carr and the Raiders. And when the Bills drafted Josh Allen in 2018, they took him as a project quarterback. And it seems like they have completed the project. And they turned it in, and they got a 100%, an A+. They surrounded him with all the possible weapons and great pieces around him that he might need to succeed. A great coach with Sean McDermott. Great receiving options with Stefan Diggs, John Brown, and Colt Beasley, and a reliable defense. Last week, he threw for over 300 yards and four touchdowns, and he continues to light it up every single week. The Bills look like a top 10 team in the NFL right now, but the Raiders, I think, will post a challenge for them. You know, last week, even though the Raiders lost, Derek Carr played all right 
against a solid Patriots defense, 24 for 32 with 261 yards and two touchdowns. The Bills have a good defense as well, so this is going to be a challenge for the Raiders too. This is going to be a good game. It's going to take a group effort from Vegas to win this game though because Derek Carr needs to play similar, similarly to how he played against the Saints in Week 2. Josh Jacobs needs to play much better than he has been, and all their receivers need to step up. But I just don't think this injured receiving core is going to be able to go against this Bills defense. And Derek Carr is not a guy who I think can improvise with bad wide receivers, with bad wide receivers, and especially their corners. The Bills corners are very, very good. Trey White, we know everything. We know how good Trey White is. I have Josh Allen continuing to play really, really well and beating the Raiders and improving to 4-0. On Sunday Night Football, the San Francisco 49ers will take on the Philadelphia Eagles. And last year, I would have been very excited for this game. I would have said that this game was going to be extremely competitive and probably could have gone the Eagles' way. But... I'm not as excited about this game this year as I would be for any other year because the Niners are just getting healthy. They're getting both George Kittle and Debo Samuel back on this offense, but they're still missing Jimmy Garoppolo and Raheem Moster. The good thing is backup quarterback Nick Mullins has yet to play a good team. He has played the Giants and the Jets, both of whom who have bad defenses. Nick Mullins gets to play another bad defense in Philadelphia, especially with all these weapons he's going to have. You know, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brendan uh, Ayuk, Ayuk, I don't know, but he's good. Um, you're going to get the loss listen, the loss of Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert is obviously a fantastic running back. We saw him light it up in the playoffs last year. We saw him single-handedly take down the Green Bay Packers, and we saw him single-handedly. Well, we almost, we, he played a good game against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. They weren't, they weren't winning that game. Damon Williams was the running back in that game who really stood out. But all through the playoffs and all through the regular season last year, Raheem Mostert was a great running back. And we've seen him so far be really good this year. I mean, we saw that 80-yard touchdown to open up the game against the Jets. But Jeff McKinnon, the Niners' run schemes and their offensive line is so good that no matter what running back you throw in there, it's going to do well. And that's my that was my point with the Jets earlier. I think that... If you have a good offensive line, no matter what running back is back there, they're going to play well. And this week, they have Jet McKinnon and Jeff Wilson in the backfield. And they make up, I think they make up for the loss in the backfield 100% because Jet McKinnon played well last week. And so did Jeff Wilson. And both of them are really good running backs. And listen, Nick Mullins threw for over 340 yards last week and a touchdown. So it, it does make you question how much Jimmy G is a product of the system in San Francisco. With especially with the way Mullins is playing, the Philadelphia Eagles, man, they just don't look like a playoff team or even like a good team. And if they weren't in the awful NFC East, then they would probably finish last in most other divisions. Carson Wentz has to step it up and at least start playing somewhat decent or else Philly, not might, Philly is going to look elsewhere for a quarterback next season. Philly fans are not, they don't have, they don't. They don't take any of this BS from the. They're, they're already calling for Doug Peterson's head. They. No one likes Carson Wentz right now. A bad. If you're bad in Philly, you're gonna hear it. So I'm. I'm. I think they might. If Carson Wentz doesn't start playing well, the, Jalen Hurts is their backup option. I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Hurts gets put in the game. Not today, but later in the season. If Carson Wentz plays bad, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jalen Hurts maybe get some snaps. I think the Niners are going to keep that Carson Wentz conversation going and beat the Eagles on Sunday night.
And on the Monday night football, on the only Monday night football game as of right now, we don't know when this Chiefs uh, this Chiefs Patriots game is going to be played. But if I were to guess, probably mon- uh, probably Monday night. I don't really know how great they feel about Tuesday night football, and we saw that the Monday night doubleheader did work. So, but Monday night football, only Monday night football game as of right now. Falcons take on the Green Bay Packers, and. It seems like Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley will be playing in this game despite being questionable, but it seems like they're on the right track to be playing. So that absolutely helps this Falcons offense. The Falcons have a good offense. They've been putting up points, but they just cannot win games this year, though. Falcons head coach Dan Quinn is just an awful coach, and he's really on his last legs after they've blown two big leads in the last two weeks, one of them being to Nick Foles and the Chicago Bears, because you know why? They gave up three touchdowns to Nick Foles. In the fourth quarter, in one game, and lost to Nick Foles and the Bears. What? You were up on the. You were up on them, and you. This offense is too. It's because of this defense, man. This Falcons defense is so bad, and it's unacceptable. The defense is terrible, and this week they get. I guess it's not going to get any better. They have to go up against probably the hottest offense in the entire league right now with the Packers because. Aaron Rodgers looks like he always has, and he is on some crazy revenge tour, and it doesn't look like he's going to be leaving Green Bay anytime soon, or it doesn't look like they should move off him anytime soon, because Jordan Love, yes, he's a project, and he's going to sit behind Aaron Rodgers and learn, but there's no way that Jordan Love is going to do anything that Aaron Rodgers is doing right now. Alan Lazard, one of their wide receivers, and their very, very small group of receivers, he just had poor surgery, and he's gonna. That's gonna keep him out a while, just as he was getting rolling. And Devonte Adams is a game time decision for this game. And whether Devonte Adams plays or not, the Packers' offense is still going to steamroll the Falcons because the Packers' offense, the Packers' defense isn't fantastic. So the Falcons will. The Falcons are going to score points, but Aaron Rodgers will find other targets, score a ton of points, and it certainly helps that this Falcons' defense is so bad. And when you're putting up the Falcons offense versus the Packers defense, and then the Packers offense versus the Falcons defense, the Packers are going to win this game 110% of the time. So I absolutely have the Packers winning this game. And with that, those are my predictions from all the games from week three. And we are going to wrap today from the Hard Count Football Podcast Live. My name is Jacob Charno, and thank you so much, everyone, for joining me today. Be sure to go follow me on Twitter, at Jacob Charno, Instagram, at Hard Count Football, and here on Twitch with Chris Landry Football. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to Hard Count Football. Join me next Sunday for more exclusive interviews and talk about the top headlines in football.